very much. Thank you, Bob. If I look like I'm wincing when I get up, I managed to break two ribs this week. Oh, Fell, yeah, I broke them last year, first time in my life, but you know, it's heck getting old. This year, I uh, was, was shoveling and I fell and landed right back on those same ribs. But it's, yeah, it, it hurts a little bit, but uh, I'm very uh, thankful for Jean for her ministrations. You know, I mentioned that to Russ. I said that uh, Jean's ministrations and Russ, Pastor Russ goes, did she rub your feet? <laughs> no, no, but she rubbed on some great oil and I'm feeling good, but it's good to see you all today. Um, Julie and I, my amazing wife, we pastor groups in, uh, in Bozeman and a whole lot of other things, you know, but that's our primary responsibility. So I just want to give a plug to the groups ministry here. Um, you know, we, we always say there that relationship doesn't happen in rows. You know, it happens in the round, around a coffee table or a kitchen table or whatever. I would encourage you, it takes a step. But join a group and you'll really get connected with one another, okay? Uh, it's worth it. Um, I wouldn't be at Connect if I hadn't joined a group there. I just, it just wasn't, I wasn't meshing in this. So I encourage you to do that. But thank you again for that nice introduction. Um, I have a question for you. I come from a business background. I was, I was a snap-on tools guy for 31 years. So I, I'm not your typical Pentecostal preacher. I'm more of a teacher but I do like audience involvement, you know? So I have a question for you. How many of you have been lost, like truly lost in your life? Can I see, got quite a few hands up. Okay, yeah, you know that doesn't feel very good, does it? I, the story I have to share is kind of a wild one. We were, when my family was, before they got divorced, this was 1972, it was ancient world history, right? But uh, my sister and I, my dad and mom, uh, he packed us up. We lived in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, the Black Hills, that's my hometown. And he packed us up for a trip to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. My dad had won this national award for lighting. He's a mechanical electrical engineer. And we were going there for him to receive the award. So we're driving, everything's fine. And we get on the outskirts of Cleveland when my mom announces that she has a long lost relative in Cleveland that she's never seen before. And she has an address. Keep in mind, it's 1972, right? Can't pull out the phone, <laughs> right? No, no ways, you know, turn left, turn left, you know, none of that. We had to stop at a service station. My dad had a really cool Rand McNally 50-state map. Do you remember those ones that were bound? I mean, they were, do you still have one? So cool. But like it had every state, right, alphabetically in it, and it was awesome. But then if you got into a city, it didn't show them as well. So we, we stopped at a gas station. He got a, a fold-up map of Cleveland. Well, you remember those maps? They were like this big, and then you start to unfold them and unfold them and unfold them until <laughs> they're, they're this big. And there's Cleveland, right? And then he flipped it over, and he's looking for Shaker Heights, Ohio. <laughs> Shaker Heights. Now, he found it. It was about eight miles, and he says, you know, we can get there, and we can get back. It'll be a quick trip. <laughs> so we get in the car, the four of us, and we're driving. It's actually eight miles. You can Google it. It's still there, Shaker Heights. And we Googled it, or I Googled it, and it's eight miles from city center. We start driving. And I, I don't know how to put this delicately, but I'm going to do my best. So there's these four cornbread folks from South Dakota, right? And we're driving along, and it's the middle of the day, and it's getting darker and darker. You know, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people of color, you know. And it wasn't that bad until the billboards turned that, and then pretty soon uh, I'm, like, looking out the windows, and there's 
people staring at us. You know, I don't think we really, they, we, we stood out. We kept driving, the car get quieter and quieter. And, and, you know, when it gets to a point where you're on a trip and your kids, what do they always ask when they're getting tired of sitting in the backseat? Are we there yet? That's what I asked. Are we there yet so we can get out of here? And uh, my dad, my mom was so tense, she was just almost vibrating. My dad didn't answer. So I thought, okay, I'll try another tack. I said, are we lost? <laughs> to which my dad turns around and he said, sit still and shut up. <laughs> he did. He's a hardcore dude. And I thought, yep, we're lost. <laughs> we're lost. And then it was funny. It was about another, it wasn't funny at all. About five minutes later, we're still driving, and, you know, he's looking at the map and all the locks. He had bought a new Mercedes-Benz 280 SE. Back then, this was pretty cool to have automated door locks. And I'm sitting in the back seat, and all of a sudden, the locks, they were the push-down ones, they went, whoom. Man, we were lost. We were lost. But, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a catchphrase in society today, and I want to throw it up here for you, and it's this. Not all who wander are lost. How many of you have heard that? Not all who wander are lost. How many of you, and there's no right answer here because we were talking about this last night, weren't we? Had some different answers. How many of you believe that's 100% true? See? Okay. How many think it's kind of true? Maybe a few more hands. How about absolutely false? Anybody? Got one? Okay. <laughs> I love that. True believer. Uh, you know, do you know who wrote that? Who? John Lennon, that's, uh, I think he sang a song about that, but J.R. Tolkien. Or it's J.R.R. Tolkien, isn't it, Bob? Thank you, thank you. You know, that's the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. But you know what it is? It's really kind of a catchphrase for, you know, don't bug me. Don't fence me in, right? Let me, let me do what I want to do, you know? Let me explore, and I don't need your advice. So today you're going, well, how is this going to tie to the the Bible. Well, James talks about wandering. We're going to jump right into the message right now. So if you have your uh, YouVersion Bible app up, go ahead and pull it up. Uh, if you need a Bible, they're stacked up at the table back there. If you, by chance, don't have a smartphone and don't own a Bible, you can take a Bible with you. We'd like to give you one. But I want you to turn to James chapter 5, ch chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. We're actually ending our message series in James. I know Bob, Bob's crying kind of a tear back there. You know, it's been a great series, hasn't it? This is our last week in James. We're going to jump into James 5, 19 through 20, and we're using the ESV version for this, the English Standard Version. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders, there's that word, right? Wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So what I want you to see here is anytime that you, uh, I read scripture, I want to kind of know, all right, in what context is that? Who is James writing to, right? And what, what's the setting and what's the, the situation? You need to understand that. See, James, he's the half-brother of Jesus if you've been tracking with us for the last four weeks and then the eight weeks before Christmas. He's the half-brother of Jesus, right? He didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God until he saw him after the resurrection. And then James became, he was all in. He was a full believer. 
but he's talking to his church community. See, James is now the mega pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the one big church of the day. And he wrote this letter to his congregation somewhere between 60 and 70 AD. They're not really sure where he, when he wrote it, but they know in 70 AD the Romans came in and leveled everything. So after that, it wasn't a possibility. But he wrote this letter, and he writes it to my brothers. Now, the Greek word for brothers is not gender-specific, okay? In fact, if you have a New Living Translation, it says brothers and sisters. So he's writing to his church community, just like if I wrote you guys a letter right now to everyone here. And he says, my brothers, if anyone among you... So he's talking about his faith community. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, okay, now, we don't know what he's re referring to. It's a couple of things. Um, you got to remember, this was before the, the Bible was canonized. There wasn't a, a Bible. There were letters. And we think that, you know, he was either talking to some people in his church that had possibly adopted some wrong teaching or some wrong doctrine, okay? But more likely, like a lot of people that love the Lord, some had wandered from the truth a little bit. Their behaviors, you know, their lifestyle, their choices, They'd wandered away from that. We're not sure. But he ends the letter with this sobering truth. He says, wanderers may be in grave danger. Wanderers may be in grave danger. And where do you see that? Let's pull that scripture back up again. And would you guys read this with me? Let's go. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. See, what I want you to remember here, there's a lot packed into these last two verses. He was just catching fire here, you know, at the end of his book. But what I want you to remember this is that he says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his or her soul from death. Three words. I want you to write this down. It's on your notes. It's kind of our big idea, and it's this. It's bring them back. Bring them back. And that's not easy to do. I'm sure you've had family members or friends, uh, co-workers, who've walked with you for a while, and then they wander, right? And they kind of turn their back on you, or they start to exhibit behaviors that you've never, you didn't think possible. And it's easy just to kick them to the curb. I, I guess I'm speaking for myself here. But that's not what James says. He says, bring them back. i got to tell you a story. I'm going to weave a story into this teaching of a good friend of mine uh, named Travis. Travis uh, goes to connect in Bozeman. Travis is kind of a man's man. You know, I could think, you guys are all men here, but I know I, I look at Will. I've seen Will work and how his skill set. And he's, he's like a little younger version of Travis. I mean, he can do anything, you know. It just really kind of bugs me, to be honest with you, <laughs> you know. I mean, he's got skills on loan from God, right? But so does Travis. Travis is 48, so he's a little older than you. A lot older, I'm sorry. But Travis is one of those guys. I met him, and he joined up with our volunteer team. And he was so good that he pretty much became my project lead like Will here. 
And, and, and Travis could do anything. See, he owned a construction company. He had, all, he had all his tools, which I immediately liked him. I'm a tool guy. He had all his tools, and he had, he, he had the whole package. And we got to know each other this last year because we did so much of the finish work like you guys did. We did it on our new building to save money. Travis's background was he was born in Michigan. He went to business school in Michigan. He, he, he took a, a four-year uh, business school, and he graduated in three. Smart guy. And while he was in school, he started building because he wanted to pay for school. He literally came out of school with no debt. So he, I asked him, how many hours a day did you work? He said, oh, about 18 between school and work. I mean, it's like Superman, right? He got married. He married. He, he, he met the, the woman of his life in school. And uh, they had two children. Uh, his parents moved out a couple years before from Michigan to Bozeman. And they followed him out in the mid-'90s. They moved away. And came to Bozeman, and you know, Travis is just one of these intense dudes that, you know, you know, you guys know who they are. You, you all know who they are. They love to work. They they push themselves relentlessly. They love the feeling of accomplishing. I know. I totally understand. I I was that way too. And Travis poured himself into that work and into his business. He started his business up, and uh, was very successful very quickly. The problem is Travis loved the Lord when he first met his wife, and when he first came out. But pretty quickly, his life started to veer. He started to wander a little bit because guess what was calling? You know, fame and fortune and that big house and those nice SUVs. And, he, you know, he just, he went that direction. And the worst thing that happened to Travis is he started neglecting God, his family, his wife, and his kids. And it was, uh, he didn't see it, though. He was too focused, like some of us can get, on being a, quote, success. So he told me that one day he came back, he'd been invited to a conference, a building conference out in Chicago to speak because people wanted to hear, what, what is this guy doing? I mean, what makes him so successful, right? So he went out and he spoke. He came home Friday night, flew into Bozeman, went to his beautiful house, and there's no one there. The furniture was there, but the, his wife and two kids were gone. So he's like frantic, and he picks up the phone and he calls his dad. And he says, Dad, he says, where, you know, where are they? And Dad said, well, they're, they're over at our house, Travis. He says, okay, oh, man, that's good. I'll be over there. He'll be right over here. He goes, Travis, hold on. They don't want you over here right now. Begin to explain things. And, he, you know, it was like a punch to the gut, he said. And he had a choice. He really had, he had a choice right then to get down on his knees and dig into his faith and ask God to lead him. But instead, he went the other way. He got into alcohol. He started drinking that night. He said he literally drank all night long. And he, so he wandered a long way from the path that night. So how, when James says bring them back, how do we bring a guy like Travis back? You maybe know a Travis in your life, right? A family member, a friend, a co-worker. How do you bring somebody like that back? How do we do that? Okay. Well, one thing, I'm going to give you three ideas here. Three tools, as I, I like the tool metaphor. Three tools, and they're on your notes. But the first one is to love earnestly. Love earnestly. And that's probably the hardest one because if somebody does this to you and hurts you, does something that you totally disagree with, the first thing you think of is, well, I'm just going to kick them to the curb, you know. And, 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 and that's not what Paul and what James says. They say, love earnestly. Peter writes in his... Uh, First letter, 1 Peter 4.8, he says, Above all, 
keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. What I like about this, first of all, Peter says above all, right? That means that's the most important thing that we should, for somebody that wanders, family, friend, co-worker, we should keep loving them, keep loving, not love them in the beginning and then say, forget it when they disappoint you. Keep loving one another earnestly. Earnestly, the Greek word for earnestly is all in. It's, it's no reservations, no holding back. Earnestly means you're all in. And that's hard to do. This reminds me of a phrase, and you guys have probably heard that. I think we've got it up on the screen here that I've used in the past. Hate the sinner, love the sin. How many of you heard that? Love the sinner, hate the sin. I'm sorry. I was just checking to see if you were paying attention. Let me see. I'm going to turn this way and read it. All right, doing better now, yeah. They kind of messed that up on me. That wasn't in rehearsal. Come on, Russ. He hears me. Love the sinner, hate the sin. The problem is I learned it the other way. Hate the sin, love the sinner. I don't know how many of you heard it that way. This sounds like being a little bit nicer. The problem is in that phrase, how many positive words do you count? One. What is it? Love. How many negative words jump out there? Three. What, what are they? Sinner, hate, and sin. And if you roll it like I did to hate the sin, hate the sin you're a hater, right? In today's culture, you just, you just lost whoever you're talking to. That's one of those but phrases. The thing is, we, I'm trying to get rid of that. I've, I don't want to use that anymore. The phrase should say, look past the sin or the wrong in this person's life and love the person. But it's hard. That's hard to do. I'm not saying it's easy. But love is one of the most effective strategies that we, that you and I have to help someone that has veered off the path, someone like Travis, come back. But it's not easy. But love earnestly is the first and most important tool that you have. Love them to death. You know that deal with Travis, um, I got to know Travis, and uh, one day he invited me out to lunch. And it was crazy, because you know, you usually go out to lunch with a guy. You know, now, 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 ladies, I know what a lunch is for my wife. That's about a three-hour lunch. But for guys, that's maybe, I mean, an hour's pushing it, right? Half an hour, we're good. But we met for three hours. And he told me his life story, and I'm thinking, well, this is really odd. You know, why is he telling me this? There's got to be a bigger deal going on. And he said at that moment when he started drinking, um, the separation came. They tried counseling. They never did get back together. He never got near his wife and kids. Um, they moved out. They moved away. The divorce came. He lost, you know, it's that unfortunate story that he lost everything that he had. And uh, except for the love of alcohol. And he still, he lost his faith for a while. He, he wandered uh, like the prodigal son does. But you know what? I mean, I looked at this guy and nobody knew that he had an alcohol problem. You wouldn't know it to meet him. I mean, he really masked it well. And uh, he was a, a hard worker and he was our project lead. So, you know what? I just stayed engaged and he said, Jeff, I just need a, a band of brothers to come around me and, and hold me 
close. And I said, Travis, you got it. So we invited him to, uh, we call it our conquer group. We have a men's group that gets together that deals with addiction. Um, and Travis joined that. And uh, he was part of our brother's breakfast bash, kind of like what you're doing. And he was on our security team. And we, we tried to pull him in. But, you know, and, and he was working with us literally every day, you guys. I mean, we were doing something every day. And Travis was there most days helping us volunteer, just like Will was here. Crazy. But uh, one day... I'll never forget this. It was a Saturday. It was one of those, those days where you've got to get a bunch of guys together, right? Well, I mean, we've got to make a big push, like the wall. And for us, it was our stage and our back. So I had like a dozen guys there that day. And we were all supposed to convene at 9 o'clock, and no Travis. And I, so I texted him, you know, hey, you on your way? No answer. Called him. No answer. Now I'm getting ticked. I mean, I got 12 guys here, but you know what? He, he, he didn't answer. So we had, fortunately, the Lord will raise up, you know, people that you need. And, and he raised up a couple of other guys that were there that had the same skill set. And we got the job done, but Travis was a no-show. And I thought, you know, tomorrow, I'm going to lovingly remind you that you stood us up. But guess what? I didn't have that chance because Travis didn't show up that day. He didn't come to church. He was on the security team for that day, and he didn't show so I started getting concerned. I called the Gallatin Valley Detention Center. And I've got him on my hotline now. I says, Travis Schnicke in there? And they said, yeah, he's, he was arrested and brought in. I, they told me on a DUI. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, not, not again. I thought we were making progress. He, he'd wandered off. He'd, he'd fallen in. And I, I, I thought, you know, I'm just going to let this go. And even my Julie said, don't get too emotionally involved with this, you know, and I thought, no, I love this guy, and I want to love him earnestly, and I want to bring him back, because I, 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 there's just something in him, so I went down to his court hearing, and he was put out on bail for $50,000, and he, he bailed out that day, and invited him right back, you know, I said, come on, Travis, and he was so apologetic, I'm sorry I let you down, Jeff, I know I let you down, and I'm so sorry, and I said, Travis, it's all right, we got it done, we need you, you're on our team, boom, we move forward. So that's the first one. Love them earnestly so you can bring them back. The second one is cover the sin. Cover the sin. Now, when you look at that on the surface, you go, wait a minute. This pastor from Bozeman comes up, and he's saying that we can, like, cover it up, erase it, you know, hide it. No, that's not what I'm going to say here. That's not what James and Peter teach. In fact, James and Peter are... Uh, paraphrasing or sharing a similar passage from Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12 it says this hatred stirs up conflict but love covers over covers over all wrongs notice it says it covers over them it doesn't cover them up covering up means that we hide it we lie about it you know we deceive people but when we cover over sins we're there to protect people how many of you uh, guys are in the Air Force, or we're in the Air Force here. Few? Yeah, ladies too. I'm sorry about that. I shouldn't be gender specific. Brothers? <laughs> but you think about it. You think about air cover, right? If you're, a, if you're in the Army or the Marines, you want air cover, right? You don't have to worry about an attack from above. That's what this is said. This love covers. It provides a cover over the person that you're talking to. It means that you don't out them. You don't gossip about them. You know, Jake, did you hear about Travis? Can you believe that? 
he stuck us up, man. He stood us up and didn't show up. And you know what? He was drinking that night. You know, he's in jail. Now, we don't, we don't do that. In fact, the general contractor, he did find out because he's got several subcontractors. That <laughs> and, and I had to share it with him. I wasn't going to lie for Travis, but I wasn't going to go out there and broadcast it. I wasn't going to get on Facebook and out the guy. No, we cover their sin. We cover their mistake as much as we can. And that's important. That's one of the tools that we can do. And Gina's got a great story about covering that I want her to share with you. If I can get this turned on. There we go. Good morning. How many of you have um, worked with somebody or you know somebody, you sit down with them and they just tell you everything their husband ever did? Any of you have ever have that and you're just sitting here getting an earful of all of these terrible things that these individuals um, have done and then you meet them? What happens when you meet them? Do you not remember everything that their spouses just told you? Well, Bob and I came to the Lord in 1994, 93. We took a marriage class, I think it was in 94. Um, and it was one of the best marriage classes I ever took. It's called Marriage Without Regrets. And in that class, you, you learn your role and how you should behave and things like that. And that was the first time I ever heard the phrase, don't uncover your husband. And what is meant by that is when they do things that are not right, you have that between the two of you. You don't go and you tell all of your friends about that. And why is that? We don't want anybody to have a, a negative opinion of them or, or affect their ministry or those kind of things. We want our husbands to be able to be confident that we have their back, right? We're going to still hold them accountable, but we got their back. We're not going to go and uncover them and let everybody and their brother know that they mess up. So then what? As it says in Proverbs 31, 23, I think, they're known at the gates, right? And so when they're known at the gates, they, mean they, they have a good reputation. Um, so we need to have our husbands back. Don't uncover them. Be like the loving earnestly, because that does cover a multitude of sins. So I got your back. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, G. Wow. I think she needs to stay up here longer. Man, she's good. I want to make... One thing really clear here, we're not saying that you can cover someone's sins from God's perspective. There's no way you can do that, right? God sees everything. He knows everything. He knows our thoughts, what we do in the light or the dark. He knows what we do. We're not saying that. And you can't love someone. Even Gene can't love someone to um, gain forgiveness for Bob. You know, that's Jesus' job. That's why I love how God loved us so much that he sent Jesus for us. That was the Jesus' first step was to come to earth to live and die and to be raised again so that we might live. But it took Jesus to do that. He's the only one that can not just cover but erase our sins through the Father. So keep in mind, tools, are number one is what? Love earnestly. Two is cover the sin. And three is let God do his work. This is the cool part of it. See, God is a huge part of this. You know, we sometimes take these projects on ourselves. I know I, I'll speak for me, you know, that, okay, I'm going to fix this person. I'm going to help them. I'm going to fix them. But first of all, God does his work. You know, I just mentioned that Jesus did it initially. He came so that we might live and live with him forever. If we confess our sins, we repent of them and we turn back to him, we have eternal life. But we also still sin day to day, don't we? 
we, we deal, we struggle because we're, we're in a sinful world and we're in a mortal body. And, you know, John explains this, the role, the ongoing role that Jesus has in our lives to help bring us back. It's right here in 1 John 2. It says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So Jesus is always advocating for us. When we get down and we say, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sins. Please forgive me, which is something I do in the morning, every morning, because I know that I've, I've fallen short. You know, the word sin, I like that word. I don't know if you, do you all know where that came from? The word sin? It's actually, an, it's, it's an archer pulling an arrow and shooting it at a mark. And the sin is the distance between the bullseye and where the mark hits. That's actually what, where the word sin comes from. And we miss the mark coming out of the garden. We miss the mark. And so every day, we just need to ask Jesus to forgive us if we're believers, okay? So Jesus has an active role, but also the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth has an active role in this to help wanderers come back. John, in his gospel, chapter, chapter 16, verse 13, he says this. I think it's on. There it is. The spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. So last week, I think Bob, Pastor Bob talked about praying. This is something that I've found in my life. You know, I came from a sales background, so I used to think I could just sell the gospel to people. You know, I could explain it to them, you know, make a proper presentation, overcome any objections, close the sale. Doesn't happen that way. No, I, I figured out real quickly that the Holy Spirit is the, the one that convicts our hearts and changes our minds, right? He's the one that will guide us into all truth. So one thing I've learned in my three years on staff is that I, I can't fix all the problems I hear about. No way, no how. I don't have a counseling degree. I don't have a PhD in that. But what I can do is say, hey, can I pray with you? If you have a friend, a coworker, anybody that's, go, that's wandering from the truth, I think the thing, that most important thing you can do is say, let's just pray together. And you pray that the Holy Spirit will guide them and guide them to truth. And, and you'll let God do his work because he's got way more, way more power, way more knowledge than we do. And he'll bring them back. So back to Travis. Back to Travis. You're like, this story will never end, right? <laughs> so Travis, things went along real well until Thanksgiving. Now, keep in mind, this is, we're in the last few weeks of getting into that building, and we need Travis worse than ever. Well, Travis just fell off the radar at Thanksgiving. And this time, I couldn't get a hold of him. He wouldn't answer his phone. I went to his house. And I'm concerned. I love him earnestly, right? I love him earnestly. And, and I went and knocked on the door, no answer, a um, couple of times. And, you know, there was no response from him. Then I found out that he was at his house. He was locked in his room. And uh, I got a hold of his roommate, and his roommate let me in. And I went in the house, and I went to his door, and I knocked on his door. I said, Travis, it's Jeff. I said, come on out. I, need to, I want to talk to you. It's like this groan, literally. I, I can't describe it. It wasn't pretty. It came from the room. I kept knocking, nothing. And you know, I mean, I, I'm a little bit of a, a, a temper, not as bad as I'm older now, but I thought, you know what, doggone you, Travis, you know. I didn't say it at the door. I thought it walked out of there. But you know what, He's I'll just let him eat with the pigs, right? But I, I just couldn't do that. Um, 
So that night I called the police. Have you, anybody ever called for like a, an intervention or a, they call it a welfare check, I think. I've never done that before, but I had called the cops on him. I thought, I mean, I don't know if he's alive or dead in there. Well, the police went there and they, they got into the room uh, because the roommate was there and he answered, he, he didn't answer the door, but he got a, they got a key from the roommate and they went into the room and he was passed out. And they said, the, the police officer told me that, you know, he looked like he'd been in a bad fight. He'd fallen down so many times that he was all bruised and they took him to the hospital, detoxed him, and I was going there the next day. The, the, the police officer called me about 10 that night. Great guy. He said, he's, a, he's in the hospital. We took him in there. So the next morning, I'm heading to the hospital. If you don't know, uh, Pastor Chris, Russ and Chris in Bozeman, Chris works at the hospital. So I'd already texted Russ and said, hey, Travis is in the hospital. Do you want to go with me? And he said, yeah, pick me up. We'll go see him. Well, I got a text at about 630 because Chris goes in early. He'd already walked out of there. Now, keep in mind, he has no vehicle, so he had to walk about five miles home. So I go to his house, and he's locked up in his room again. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. I, I, I just don't know what to do with this guy. But I kept thinking, you know, love him earnestly, right? Love him earnestly. Cover him and let God do his work. Well, it was a couple of weeks ago. We didn't hear it all from him after that. Um, went through Christmas. Of course, my... My uh, father-in-law passed away. We went to Phoenix for two weeks, so I kind of lost track of ministry. I came back two weeks ago in church, and a friend of his was there, and he looked at me. He says, hey, come on over. He said, you hear Travis is back in jail? I said, no, but I'm glad. I, I'm glad. I hate to say that. I was praying that he'd get picked up before he killed somebody or himself. Well, he had uh, gotten a second DUI, you know, in four months. And uh, so, you know, once again, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't really want to go visit him. But I did. I went down. He was in there on $250,000 of bail now. And the prosecutor basically said he's a menace, and he is. So I went there that two days after he was in there. They say when you're that inebriated, it takes a week to, to get, get, yeah, a week to get sober. So I went in there the second day, and it wasn't good. Travis looked like he had been beat up hard. I mean, he looked terrible. His one right eye was completely red. He, he suffered some kind of a contusion, and I didn't tell him he looked that bad, but he wasn't of his right mind at that point. But I kept going back because I, I really felt like, you know what, I've got to bring Travis back. And we prayed together. I had to love him and pray with him. And just this last week, you guys, um, I'm still sticking in there because he can't, he's in there for the duration. I mean, they're going to transfer him into, he may come up to Shelby, I don't know where he'll end up, you know, Dylan. But uh, he has gotten better, and, and I've been in there loving on him and, and just encouraging him. The first time I went in there, he says, you know, I don't have any friends in the world. And I, th I said, what am I doing here then, you know? I mean, I said that. That really ticked me off. <laughs> Glad there was. But, you know, I didn't let it show. And, and anyway, it, you know, he's coming back. And this last week, Wednesday, I was there. And uh, he hasn't gotten his final hearing yet, but... He's probably going to be in for at least a year. And he's asking me to move his family, you know, move his house, I mean, and take care of his house. And you know what? We did that. In fact, I knew I was going to be here this weekend, and I'm, I'm, on last Sunday I put a call out to the connectors, and I said, and I, and I outed him. I did because it was in the paper. I said, Travis is in jail. 
and I need some help. And I had 25 people sign up to help move him. I couldn't believe it because I wasn't going to be here, you know. We got him moved. But anyway, I saw him on Wednesday, and he wrote me this letter. And I got to read it to you, and I don't think I can get through it. But he just handed it to me. He said, would you share this with anybody that you think needs to hear it? And I said, I will. In fact, I got an opportunity to. He said, I found myself sitting in a jail cell bed, unable to sleep, rocking side to side and crying. In an instant, my once comfortable life was in shambles from a foolish mistake. I, would like, I will likely be spending 9 to 12 months in the correctional system and losing much of what I had worked so hard for. I've always known the Lord, but now I've lost hope and faith, and I just want to quit life somewhere, somehow. So I believe, first of all, it was an answer to prayer that we, he was pulled over because I believe he was just trying to drink himself to death. The jail has small portable radios available, and I asked a passing guard for one. When I received it, I tuned it in to K-Love. This was about 11 o'clock at night, desperately seeking solace. After a few songs, I found myself praying incessantly for God to pick, pick me up and hold me, to let me sit on his lap. I soon began to feel a calmness from within my heart and soul. God was telling me that he would walk beside me through the process and help me build an even better life than I had, a life filled with his love. Isn't that amazing? Because, you know, walking with this guy, not letting him go. You know, I firmly believe, I'm not taking credit because there's been a bunch of people, but it saved his life. And I think it's worthwhile because, you know, Travis has had a blood alcohol content as, hi as high as 5.0, which, I mean, that usually will kill most people. So I know God has his hand on Travis. There's something amazing in Travis's life that's coming. So after he handed this to me, and I actually didn't even really read it because I, he said, you know, Jeff, he said, um, one thing God has been speaking to me a lot about, he said, is the prodigal son. <laughs> and I said, he says, do you know that story? I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, heard that one once or twice, you know. He says, yeah, he says, you know, he says, you know, the, the father, you know, that's God, right? I said, yeah. I mean, he's talking to me like this, you know, like I'm about a 10-year-old, but it was cool. He said, so, so, you know, he's, he's like waiting for his son to show up, and he's, he's at his house, and he's just watching out there. And I said, yeah. And he, then he said, you know, when he saw his son, he said he ran to him. He said, isn't that cool? And I says, yeah, that, that was really cool, man. I mean, it, it is. It's a great story. He says, yeah. And, you know, when he got there, he took his coat off, and he put it on his son, and he gave his son his ring, right? And I thought about this, that, when the father ran to him, he was loving earnestly, wasn't he? But when he took his coat off, I mean, that to me is a symbol of cover, right? He covered his son. And I can imagine his son didn't look very good if he'd been living with pigs, you know? And he put his ring on his finger, which was a sign of authority, you know? And he said, so, and, and I'm thinking this as Travis is telling me the story. He says, that was what God has been telling me. And he says, you know, the coolest thing is he took him all the way back up to his house and he cooked him this amazing feast, right? And, he's, and I said, yeah, that's, that's great, Travis. I mean, seriously, uh, that's, 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 that's a story that I love. And he goes, you know, that's me. He just said it like that, like a child. He said, that's me. That's me. And he said, God told me one day that I would walk out of here and I'll be healed, I'll be clean, and I'll have a, a new life. And I'm not making any of this up. 
it's just an amazing story that a few years ago I would not have given the time or the time of day for a guy like Travis. So, I, I, you know, God can use us in a powerful way to reach somebody that we think is lost. We don't give up. So let God do his work to bring them back and just partner with him, okay? Love earnestly, you know, cover their sin, cover them, protect them, and then let God do his work. You know, Jesus has done his work for us. I mentioned that already. You know, I think about what Jesus did. Um, I didn't deserve that. None of us did. And he came, he lived, he loved for us. And he's already done the hard work. So before I step down here, I want to talk about next steps. Do you guys have your uh, connection card in front of you or on your phone? You know, James is all about action, right? This, this series has been James. First one was action. This is reaction. But how do we put our faith into action today? Well, I think there's four points on there that I want you to look at. One, I'm going to love earnestly. I'm going to love earnestly. And I'm not going to write people off because I did that a long time. I'm not going to write people off, kick them to the curb. If, if that resonates with you, I want you to check that. I'm going to love earnestly because that's something that we need to work on. Two, I'm going to cover over sin. I'm going to, as Gene said, I'm going to cover my husband. I'm going to cover my wife or my family member or my friend. I'm not going to uncover them on social media or Facebook. If that resonates with you, if you'd mark that down, that'd be great. Third is I'm going to let God do his work. And I think this is the one where we tend to overthink things and I think that's the opportunity we have to pray with people and to show them how much we care. I've never heard anybody, even a non-believer, if you ask them, can I pray with you? They're going to say yes. I've never had anybody say no. Can I pray with you? Because you don't know. I don't know how to fix this thing. Can I pray with you? I'm going to let God do his work. If that resonates with you, would you check that off? And finally, the most important thing is I'm going to begin following Jesus today. See, it all starts with Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, we're going to give you that opportunity in just a minute. But if that person that you're talking to doesn't know the Lord, that's the first step, isn't it? That's the first step is accepting Jesus into their heart. So uh, I'd like you just to take a minute to write that down if you've got a few more things you want to write. Uh, Christy, you want to come on up with the band? Uh, if you, by the way, I'm an overachiever. So if you have something else you'd like to write in, maybe we missed it today, just write it right in if you've got a card right there, okay? I appreciate your guys' attention today. I hope, I hope we prayed that this message would sink deep. It has in me softened my heart. Self softened my heart. What I'd like to do, if you would, um, if you prayed to accept Jesus today, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but if everybody would stand up with me, I would just like to have you pray along with me. If you just repeat this with me, we're just going to ask salvation prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I am a sinner. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. 
Thank you for raising up on the third day. I confess that I need you, Lord. And I claim your shed blood on the cross for my sins. Holy Spirit, I pray, come into my life and give me a new heart and a new mind. Help me to follow you, to stay on the path the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.